How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. That's it. <laughs> Impressive. That was great. So how uh, you been? I have been. It's so good to be back. Yeah. How are you? Great. Fantastic. Tremendous. I want to hear. Exhilarated. Relaxed. I'm. Everything. Delighted. So you are at a different I am tonight. You're at a great I am. Well, I'm always here, though. Well, that's true. But but we change our I am's all the time. But look at you. Look at me. Look what you did for all those folks from that bicycle ride. For all those folks, yeah. Hopefully we made a difference, for sure. There was uh, 6,000 of us and 4,000-plus volunteers as well. And this was what they raised a ridiculous amount of money in one weekend. I think it's incredible. Pan Mass. Pan Mass. PMC. I noticed on your show uh, when I was away, you called it the Pan Am. I'm not quite up for that challenge yet. Yes, you are. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Well, it was incredible. uh, It was awesome. Yeah. And and you you contacted us. You did some Facebook stuff. I mean, we saw some videos of you doing it with with other bicyclists. It looked really fun. It's it a, it's an amazing weekend. If anyone's out there that has any desire to be part of an unbelievable forty eight hours, I highly recommend get on the bike or sign up to volunteer because I think the volunteers have just as much fun and deliver just as much gratitude and receive it as the riders do. It's it's a really special, special thing to be a part of. And the fact that they raise so much money for such a good cause, it's uh it's 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 really really cool. Tell folks how much money this this really is now. Um so it's the largest one weekend, one event fundraiser in the nation. Oh. It's uh it delivers I think the goal is $50, million to Dana-Farber Jimmy Fund uh, this year. They've uh, Since 1981, they've raised over a half a billion, B, with a B, billion dollars. And, wow. um, you know, they they are um, being recognized as, as the reason why certain cancers are either being treated and, uh, you know, to the point where people are not dying anymore, or they're finding ways to cure cancer and moments like this events like this being uh, part of uh, things like this just makes you believe that there is a chance that cancer will be a part of the history books it's it's really even just the five years that I've been involved in it it, it, there's been miraculous changes and people they the riders and the volunteers and they just they get it they're all there focused on one thing everybody together Focusing on one thing, so it's really, it's impactful. It's it's moving for sure. Powerful, mm, very much. How are you? How is Drug Story Theater? I understand we had a we had a show recently. Yep, had a show in Mashpee, a community show which was wonderful, well attended, and and the folks. Um, it was it's always wonderful when we do these community shows. Mm-hmm. The, the the questions are amazing, but a lot of them are directed to the two grown-ups, 
that are in the show because there's, there's um, Nana, who is Heather's grandmother, yep. who has been through all the stuff with, with Heather. And, uh, you know, the first question was, you know, what's this like for you? And, you know, what advice can you give parents? And, you know, the, the, advi- the question was really, how do you talk with your kids uh, about drugs and alcohol right. without turning them off, without, you know, putting up a barrier? Really interesting. And for those who are tuning in for the very first time, Drug Story Theater is? So what we do is we take we have a nonprofit, mm-hmm. 501c3, Drug Story Theater. You can go to our Facebook page. You can go to our website, drugstorytheater.org. We take kids, teenagers, in the early stages of recovery from drugs and alcohol. We teach them improvisational theater, and then we use something called psychodrama, and they create their own scripted shows about the seduction of, addiction to, and recovery from drugs and alcohol. And then they perform these shows for middle schools and high schools, so the treatment of one becomes prevention of many. And that's our slogan, the treatment of one becomes prevention of many. In between each scene, the kids in the show step out of character and they do these three PowerPoint presentations teaching the audience about the neuroscience of adolescent brain development and why it's at such risk for addiction. And all the kids in the audience take a pre-show neuroscience quiz, and then the same quiz after the show, and my uh, director of research, Ken Teixeira, out of Quincy College, is measuring the difference in perception. When a kid learns about their brain, we believe that they will be less likely to use drugs, and that's what's happening. And then there's a talk back between the audience and my kids up on stage. And that's what you were referring to with Nana. Okay. And it is just Mm mind-blowing, because the, the talk back, First of all, it, it's a remarkable experience for our kids in the show because they realize how valued they are yep. and how how their courage to get up in front of strangers and say, I was using drugs. We're not trying to scare you. We're just trying to tell you what happened to us. Yep. Um, they begin to realize that they have so much that they can contribute. I have a new phrase. Have you heard my new phrase? No. For those in recovery, it is contribute to society to help with your sobriety. Oh, I like it. And I want it on the air now and trademark it. Contribute <laughs> to society. Yes, time stamp it. That's right. 8, uh, 11 p.m. Thank Eastern you. Standard Time on August 23rd, 2018. There we are. Because really think <laughs> about it. Contribute to society yes. to help with your sobriety. That's what people can do. And, of course, we can do it without having to be helping with sobriety. Just contribute. You know, yeah, I mean, if you're doing something positive, yep. right? If you're contributing, if you're putting out those emotions, it's actually going to make you feel valuable, right? The give to get, right? But isn't that an amazing part of who we are as human yeah. beings? That that is exactly the experience when you give, when you remind someone of their value. You, you feel good. Yeah, you increase your own value. Right. That is part of who we are as human beings, and we must not lose sight of that. Right. Because I think we can, we're always at risk of it. We're always at risk of it because another part of our brain is a very, I hate to say it, isolated human. We know we, we get scared. Right. And when we get scared, we retreat. And we get scared mostly that people will see us with less value. So relax, everyone. You're doing the best you can. It's your I am. We can do this. We can do this together. Just like that, I mean, that's your experience um, in the Pan Mass. I got it right, right? (laughs) He did, yes. But that's your experience, right? You you were giving. Yeah. 
It's amazing. And it felt great, doesn't it? Yeah, I th- that's what I think is just so powerful about who we are as human beings. Yes, agreed. We have this wonderful, wonderful opportunity at every moment. Why not do it? Right, Let's just do it. You know. Well, selfishly, why wouldn't we do it? Right, if it makes us feel good. Right, right. And I think you know the fact that we can feel good by doing this. That's what we're teaching our kids in drug-free theater, that this high you get, yeah. this rush you get, this pleasure is better than drugs and alcohol can ever be. And that's what they're learning. And that's the oxytocin, or is that yes, the Yes, okay. yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, I learned something, everybody. I learned something. <laughs> Not oxycontin. That's the oxytocin. <laughs> oxytocin right. Yeah, this okay. neurohormone that we build of trust, this passion that we have for other human beings. I love it. It's just, it's just incredible. It is quite amazing. Now, who are we talking to tonight? Tonight, we are talking with Rusty Shelton. Cool. Calling in from Austin, Texas. He, he did say that he's calling in right after I think his son is in a sports event. Yes. So he's going to be calling in. I I'm so it. appreciative. I, he's amazing. Um, social media guru. I've known Rusty for many years. He has helped educate me about this remarkable thing that we now call social media Mm. but even more he's come out with a new book that we're going to talk about how you can you can just convince people thought leadership right thought leaders yeah that's right i'm really excited to talk to this guy yeah i'm so glad and and i'm just so honored that he's going to be calling in yeah so we've got a lot going on drugstore theater we're going to have some public performances coming up in september i'll let people know about that great as we get closer we've got a group of kids who are learning The Price You Pay, which was our original show, because it really speaks so much to this opioid crisis. So we're very grateful. Very happy to do it. It's a great show, folks. Yeah. Yeah. Rusty Shelton is calling in now. Rusty, you on the air? I am. I am. Not to be on. Hooray. Rusty, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. Now, um, you're calling in from, from Austin? Austin, Texas. Wow. Right. Thank you so much for calling in. Hook 'em horns. It is a breezy, that's right, hook 'em horns. It's a breezy 96 degrees right now. At, uh, <laughs> 7 720 in Austin, Texas. So, it's good awesome. good day to be in Boston, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. So, look, we are we've been talking uh, quite a bit about what you're doing. Um, I, I just want you to know, Mark and I have been doing this show for a while. I think this may be the first time that I've ever seen him actually Put some notes together. That's not true. Well, maybe it's not wow. true. But, but but I just want you to know that that he's so excited. Yes, Rusty I'm so Mark. excited. Thank meet you, Mark. Rusty. Nice to make your acquaintance. Nice to meet you too, Mark. Pleasure. So I'm looking at a short bio here that says Rusty Shelton first spoke at Harvard on the changing world of PR and marketing at the age of 23. So you were a you presented yourself as a thought leader at 23 to folks at Harvard. Let can we talk about that for a second? That was probably the most nervous I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I would think of standing so. up there getting ready to get married to my wife. But yeah, that was uh, that was a nerve wracking talk, but a lot of fun. So what was it like? How did you, as a 23 year old, find yourself on a stage talking to folks at Harvard about something that's they're unaware of? So I worked for a book PR firm in Austin, Texas, and one of the publications that we worked with frequently was a health publication out of Boston. And Dr. Julie Silver, who was the editor of that publication, was putting on 
a Harvard Medical School CME course, which is a, a continuing education publishing course, and invited somebody from the firm to come up there and talk about book PR. And uh, the publicist who had been working with Dr. Silver sent a note around the office and asked, is anybody interested in doing this? And I hopped on the phone with Dr. Silver, talked to her a little bit about what I wanted to share and got invited to come up there. And uh, I told her I was young. Thankfully, she didn't ask me for my age. And so I remember walking in the door at the Fairmont Copley Hotel and her going ghost white when, <laughs> when she saw how young I really was. But it was one of those situations, Mark, where I, I'd given that, I was so nervous that I'd given that speech to the wall in my office every day for a month yeah. uh, before I came up there. And so uh, I often say, you know, the only thing that trumps nerves is preparation. And, right. and I definitely saw that firsthand there. Do you remember what the topic was exactly? Yes, it was uh, getting a message out in the new media landscape. And what, not to age you, but what year was that for the new media landscape? That was 2004. Okay. Wow, 2004. So what did the media landscape look like then? So what was interesting is at that time, it was still primarily dominated by what, what I like to think of as rented and earned media. In other words, if you wanted to get a message out, the only way to do it at scale was either to rent somebody's platform by buying an ad or to yeah. earn your way on by getting featured in the paper or, or on TV. But in that previous environment, Mark, what was so interesting is th there were gatekeepers. And, and so if you, if you weren't able either to have the budget to buy an ad or if you weren't able to convince a producer or a journalist to put you on the air, there was really no way at that time to kind of go around the media and build a direct connection with your audience in the same way you can today. So what's changed in the last 15 years? Gosh, uh, and, you know, we, we, uh, hopefully we've got a while to talk. <laughs> There's a lot, obviously, that, that's changed. I think the biggest game changer to me, Mark, is uh, we've entered the age of micromedia. And what I mean by that is in today's media landscape, every individual, every business, whether they know, know it or not, is a media outlet. And, and so some people are influencing a couple hundred on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Uh, some people who have really taken this opportunity seriously, you know, have, have email lists bigger than the local newspaper or, or, or podcast listenership, you know, bigger than, than many large radio stations. And right. so what's interesting to me, Mark, I think the seismic shift, and we can talk tactics all day long, but the seismic shift to me is we're, we're increasingly more interested in paying attention to each other then we are paying attention to what I think of as, as kind of larger generic media. And so it's an interesting opportunity because in this landscape, any individual thought leader or individual authority who has good content and is willing to put it out there, you know, has a chance to, to create an audience at scale in a way that they've never had before. So what creates a thought leader for those listening? What Back it up even a step further. What is a thought leader? Sure. So, you know, if you let's take um, let's take a space like financial advisors, yep. for example. So, into in today's and then in the United States today, we've got three hundred thousand financial advisors. Every one of them has the appropriate degree. Many of them have decades and decades of experience. And so, the question mark is, how do you you know what separates one from the other before you've worked with them? Obviously, after you have a chance to work with a financial advisor, they're either good or they're not. But as you're looking at who should I work with, if everybody's got the same degree and if most of them have similar experience, 
The question is, how do you accelerate trust or differentiate yourself from other financial advisors? And so what we believe makes a thought leader what we think of as an authority is someone who, in addition to having the degrees and the expertise and being able to do a great job, is also getting what we think of as third-party credibility that goes along with regular media coverage, with speaking on that topic regularly, with having content out there that people find valuable. And so what happens, Mark, is instead of just being, you know, kind of another financial advisor that I'm shopping on price or, or it's more of a commoditized situation, when you build that kind of thought leadership or that kind of authority, as we call it, it's more of a situation where I'm, I'm feeling lucky to get the appointment with you. You publish the book, you, you yeah. speak a lot, you, you're doing media. So it, it, it's, it's a situation where, number one, it accelerates the speed of trust, but number two, it really allows people to make a bigger impact with their message as well. So what are some of the ways and strategies for somebody to do that? I, I know that you know getting up on stage gives you automatic credibility, right? So if you're the one speaking to the audience, then you are the authority is what the old old saying was but is that actually a fact you know definitely speaking is an environment where um, you are positioned with a certain third party implicit credibility yep. from whatever the conference is or whatever the group is that's putting you on stage so no question that's a really powerful form of of earned media where i always go to at the starting point on this though mark is really thinking about you know in today's landscape the first impression most people will have of you won't happen in person. It won't happen over the phone. It's going to happen online. It, it's page one of Google. It, it's your website. It's your LinkedIn profile. And so the first thing I would encourage your audience to think a little bit about is to, to do a bit of an online brand audit for themselves and to think if, if a potential customer or a potential uh, employer or, or a potential journalist is looking for them online, number one, can they be found? And we can dig into the weeds on that if it's helpful. But number two, if they can be found, is that first impression something that positions them as just another financial advisor or just another dentist or just another whatever their actual expertise may be? Or does it position them more as, a, as an authority or a thought leader? Interesting. And that's, that's true for pretty much anybody, right? Not just a business owner. That's somebody who just wants to better their position in their relative space, right? Yeah, that's right. It, it's true for anybody that wants to better their position. It's also true for anybody that just wants to make an impact or has right. a message that they want to get out. Um, a, a lot of people kind of sit back and wait for somebody else to give them a platform, whether that's getting featured in the newspaper or you know, going on a great radio show like this. But w what a lot of people don't realize is they actually have an incredible amount of power to, to almost push the media out of the way and go directly to their audience with a great blog or a great podcast. And really the starting point for me on that, Mark, is do you own search around your name? So if somebody's mm -hmm. looking for you by name, number one, can you be found? And number two, is that impression a good one? And just a really practical uh, tip that I would give your audience is if they do not own their name as a website address, so Dr. Schrand, for example, or Joe Schrand, or for me, RustyShelton.com, my encouragement is to go tonight to a site like GoDaddy and buy FirstNameLastName.com just to get really specific. The way I think about that is it's kind of like a, a piece of real estate. It, it's like virtual real estate. And to own your name 
in terms of a piece of virtual real estate a lot, even if you're not going to build a website immediately, it's one of those things that in the future you're probably likely to want. If you have kids, buy their names, grab that. Um, it's, in, it's amazing how important it's going to be to be able to own that first impression. It's valuable now. It's going to get even more valuable. Very impressive yeah. person, folks. Yeah. This is not your local community radio guest. This is an international yeah. star. We call him a guru for a reason. Guru. You know? Yeah. So we, we have so many questions. We were talking about um, these three different ways to get a, really the message out, right? So you, you, you referenced them, Rusty, as earned, rented, and I think purchased. Are they the, the types of platforms of how to deliver the message? So it's actually earned, rented, and owned, owned media okay. are the three categories. Okay. So let's break those down for us. Sure. Absolutely. So rented media, the definition there, guys, is, is all, it's essentially all of the uh, messages that go out where you fully control the content, but someone else owns the audience. So the obvious here is okay. advertising. You buy it, you buy an ad, you control the content of that ad. Somebody else owns that audience, or somebody else owns essentially the real estate. So the two big things that live in rented media are advertising, but also social media. So this is a big mistake that a lot of people will make is they're content, you know, building a huge audience on Instagram or a huge audience on Facebook or LinkedIn. And by the way, that's great. That's an awesome place to to get a message out and build an audience. But the problem is the longer you leave an audience on real estate that Instagram owns or real estate that Facebook owns, the more beholden you are to their willingness to let you get to that audience. Right. And, and in many ways, you play an, an algorithm game. So that's rented media. The, the second category is earned media. And, and the definition there, these are all of the messages that go out where uh, the impression of that audience is that you earned the message, okay? So publicity opportunities, speaking engagements, referrals, word of mouth, uh, online reviews, all live in that earned media category. As each of you recognize, there, there's nothing that does more for your thought leadership or authority, if you will, than a message that goes out on earned media because the audience recognizes it as an implicit stamp of approval from whoever it is that put you on stage or whoever it is that put you on the air. The last category, which is the newest, and the one that I see most commonly ignored is owned media. And, and the definition of owned media, these are all of the assets where you fully own the connection with your audience. So it's your website, it's your blog, it's your email list, as well as a physical mailing list. And going back to the kind of the big picture point that I made at the start of the conversation, success today is thinking more like the media than a marketer. And leverage in terms of building an audience, growing your business, but also making a bigger impact is when you actually own that connection with your audience instead of giving a message out only on real estate somebody else owns. That's really interesting. So so it's it's building the community, right, that, that trusts and follow you as their thought leader. That's right, Mark. And really the big thing there is, and this goes back to kind of the, the big picture place that we are right now, it, 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 we are increasingly skeptical, not just of corporations, but also what I think of as kind of corporate media or, or, or big media. Yeah. And so increasingly we as the listening public are more interested in paying attention to each other than we are to large generic media. We, we view each other as uh, more trustworthy, oftentimes more interesting. And so 
um, what's interesting in this audience in terms of build in this environment in terms of building a community is um, if you can provide your audience with the same thing they're getting from other media that they like which is entertaining and informative content oftentimes you can build a direct relationship whether it's through the podcast or through your email newsletter or through your blog that that forms a similar connection that they have with the wall street journal or with the boston globe or with npr or even um, more and, and so I, or, yeah, exactly. Or, or even more so. It's it's more, it seems, or uh, it feels more authentic, right? It's almost a peer-to-peer. Is that what you're referencing as your micro-media? Yes, that's exactly right. And that's, that's a, so so podcasts would fall into that platform? Absolutely. What do you think of uh, where we are in the podcasting generation or, or evolution? Oh, man. So what's interesting about podcasts is that, you know, the technology is not new. Podcasts have been around forever, and the thing that's changed everything about podcasts is instead of having to sit at your desktop computer and listen, obviously now we can listen just as easily through our Bluetooth connection in our car as we can to NPR or ESPN radio. And so I think a lot of people feel like they've missed the boat if they haven't started a podcast yet or if if they're just getting started. But still we have a growth curve right now on listenership. For podcasts that is that is a, a hockey stick up, yep. and although certainly we have more podcasts than we've ever had before, um, it, it, it's still a trailing line, and so I still think there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and we can talk a little bit about kind of how best to use a podcast, but I love that format, especially for a lot of you know Boston area medical professionals. Um, it is such an interesting format in the health space because so few health professionals are willing to get active in that space. And so um, the ones who are can, can make up a lot of ground quickly. I just love the way you say that podcasts have been forever. <laughs> forever means what? Like 20 years, 15 years? What's forever? 15, 20 years. Yeah. For, that's forever, forever. intact, though. <laughs> I know, tech, but, that's but I just love that because, because what we're talking about, for me as, as a psychiatrist and as a physician, and is is something that's been around a lot, lot longer, which is this idea of trust. Right. And the idea of, you know, how big can your community be before you say, you know, this is a bit too big for me. I want to come back to the small, intimate group because I think that's part of, of what what is so attractive to this. And, and, and I, 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 I want to be sure that we spend quite a bit of time now on, on your new book, because how does this connect with your new book? The, the Pillars of Thought Leadership, Authority Marketing. I just want to do the title, folks. Authority Marketing, How to Leverage Seven Pillars of Thought Leadership to Make Competition Irrelevant. Rusty, tell us about this. Sure. And I think this goes right back to what you're talking about there, which is that, in my opinion, the most important thing in the new media landscape, which is trust. Trust is something that has to be earned, but success in an increasingly fragmented environment, you've got to accelerate the speed of trust. Um, and, and in this book, we went back and we looked at authority you know, through history. And, and if you kind of think about what made somebody an authority through the years, there have really been three eras of authority. So the first era of authority is what we call institutional authority, and this is pre-1875. And that was to be viewed as an authority, you had to be bestowed 
that authority either by an institution, be it the church or uh, or government, there was no way really to earn that authority. And so pre-1875 is institutional authority. 1875 to roughly 2000, and 1875, by the way, is right around the time that offset printing was invented, hmm. uh, is what we call media-driven authority. And that was a era where, in addition to having institutional authority, you could go through the media like Harry Houdini did, like P.T. Barnum did, um, like J.P. Morgan did, and build authority as a result of the media deeming you an authority. In, in this third era, which we find ourselves in right now, which began roughly around 2000, we call it market-driven authority, meaning you don't have to wait for an institution to bestow authority on you. You don't have to hope you know, the, the Today Show or the Wall Street Journal deems you an authority. If you have a message that can make an impact, if you have entertaining and informative content, you can kind of push institutions and the media out of the way and go directly to your audience uh, in a way that you've never been able to do before. And what I love about that is not just growing your business or not just, you know, getting in a position of thought leadership, but if you talk about the kind of impact that people who have great ideas, who have messages that can change people's lives, you've got a chance to make a bigger impact than you've ever had a chance to before. So that's what's exciting to me about this. Hmm. And how do you how do you actually get to those people though? I mean, it's there's billions of people out there. How do you create this platform for folks who don't know? Could, do you want to just explain what a sure. what platform is? What's a platform? Yeah, so platform essentially is how big is the audience that looks to you as the best source of information on your topic area? And really practically, uh, this is, you know, how many people do you have on your email list? How many people are you able to reach through social media? How many uh, regular predictable opportunities do you have to speak or to contribute to Forbes.com or wherever it may be? And I think you know, really practically on this, uh, guys, this gets back to um, a, a platform in many ways is very similar to um, a subscriber base to a newspaper. In other words, it's the group of people that looks to that newspaper or in the form of a platform that looks to an individual thought leader or an individual business as the best source of information on their topic area. And so in terms of how to build a platform, the starting point is um, what kind of brand do you want to put in place? So in other words, as I mentioned earlier, I think just the really practical starting point for a lot of your listeners is to go online and grab their name as a website address and to build a home base uh, on that website address where they can blog, where they can start to build an email list, um, where they can drive people to, to extend their interaction with that person with great content, with an email newsletter or uh, a great podcast or a great blog, and we can we can dive in a little bit more on that. But um, that's really just when we get really pragmatic. Um, the way you build a, an audience or a platform in today's landscape is not with a marketing mindset. In other words, it's not pushing promotion at people or trying to sell something. It, instead, it's kind of flipping it and again thinking more like the media, which is building a long-term relationship with somebody as a result of serving them with really good content. So deliver first, serve first. 
But even before no that, don't, don't you have to have an idea? I mean, you have to have an idea. You have to have something that you think other people would benefit from. I mean, are, are there are there ideas out there that that are not successful because they don't benefit other people? I mean, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. isn't that what I mean? Part of trust is, you know, listen to me, and I will help you. I will improve something in your life, not trust me to give me all your money and I promise I'll do something with it later. Right? I mean, it, there's, there's got to be some very human component to this where I'm making an investment of my time to listen to what you have to say so that I will benefit from your wisdom. Well, the market will speak to that, yep. right? So, Rusty, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, is again, the platform of podcasts. And I although we're still in that early adopter phase and it's it's growing by leaps and bounds there's still you know millions of people that don't even really understand what it is um, when when surveyed but you know how do you weed through all of the noise right because anybody can post a podcast anybody can post blogs and you know what are you to do to find what you want to be consuming but also how do you trust it Right? How do you trust mm -hmm. that what they're actually saying is truthful? How, how does somebody become a recognized thought leader and an authority? I, I think the market just speaks, right, Rusty? I mean, if somebody is inauthentic or untrustworthy or just selling constantly, I think the market will just shut them down and not refer their friends to listen to the Dr. Joe show, right? Hey, I'm, uh, you know, I just listened to an awesome episode of the Dr. Joe show with this guy, Rusty Shelton. You know, you got to listen to it mm -hmm. versus yeah. all they were doing was trying to sell some product. I'm not telling anybody about that and mm -hmm. I'm deleting it from my subscriber base or my uh, table of contents or my consumable, digestible list of podcasts that I want to listen to. Mm -hmm. This is the biggest pitfall that, that people have when they go out and they think of this idea of thought leadership or I want to grow a platform is, you know, they think it's all about them. And, 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 you know, the last thing that we pay attention to is somebody that is building, you know, what I like to think of as kind of an ego-driven platform. Yeah. Hey, look at me. Look how great I am. Look how great my ideas are. And, and that's, again, that goes back to what I think of as a marketing mindset, which is pushing, pushing, pushing some kind of a sale or some kind of a marketing message versus flipping. When we, when we get to that media mindset, Joe, you're, you're right. It gets to this idea of you've got to have a message worth sharing. You've got to have something that uh, actually makes an impact on your audience. But the other piece of this and, and the pitfall that a lot of people think of when they start a blog or when they start a podcast is they think it's just about them. In other words, it's only their IP. And if you think about uh, good media, they don't just share op-eds. Op-eds are certainly a part of the newspaper, but the newspaper is filled with other people's ideas. And this is one of my favorite ways for people as they start a podcast is not to worry so much about the audience in terms of how big it is right out of the gate. Instead, think about that podcast as an excuse, as a bridge to build relationships with 52 people over the course of the next year as you do a weekly podcast. And instead of it being all about your product or your ideas, 
use it as a reason to reach out and build a relationship with somebody that, number one, you think can serve your audience with good ideas, but number two is somebody you'd just like to get to know and, and that potentially could be somebody that brings a great audience to the table with your podcast. So my favorite way to think of content marketing in terms of building thought leadership or authority is it is a bridge to great new relationships, not just with other authorities or authors or experts, but also you know, with your audience. So it, it goes back to that idea of, number one, you've got to have a good idea to talk about, something that's going to make an impact. But number two, you've got to approach it with a media mindset instead of a marketing mindset. Yep, and we have some great ideas. I mean, this is part of what the Dr. Joe Show, I hope, is about. It's not, a, it's not about us. It's exploring who we are and why we do what we do. Yeah. Let's hear more about the book. First of all, how do people access the book? How do they get your book? Hopefully directly on his website, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. People can go to authoritymarketingbook.com and cool. grab a free chapter. We've also got an authority assessment there. Um, and then rustyshelton.com is another place to get some good information and, and, and find my blog. An authority assessment. Tell us about that for a second. Yeah, so a lot of people, first of all, the, the term authority is new for yeah. a lot of people. They're, they're not quite sure what that means. For years, we thought of authorities as, you know, police officers or um, government officials. And what's interesting for us, or the way we kind of think about this idea of authority marketing is, you know, really being seen as the authority in whatever your space is. And, and, it, and for a lot of people, it's a really niche space. You may not need to be a thought leader for all of Boston. You may need to be a thought leader within your specific vertical to the people that matter most. And so uh, for a lot of people, they're not sure kind of where they are right now. Are they more expert? Are they more authority? And so we set up a quiz or, or what we think of as an assessment on that website where people can go in and take that assessment and kind of figure out where they are on the spectrum right now. Oh, that's very Mark, cool. Mark is, is, is <laughs> going to be doing it I'll, right I'll after I'll be doing it right this. after the show. That's right. right Fantastic. You know, it's funny, Rusty. So, so how about the the person who sits back and says, "You know what? I am that final uh, financial advisor. I do what most of my um, my competitors do. You know, what makes my message any different? Is right. it just the fact of saying it and putting it out there in your vo in your voice?" So, I think the big thing here, Mark, is most financial advisors, just like most other verticals. What most of them do is they focus on their what we look at as a corporate brand. So whether that's Edward Jones or J.P. Morgan yep. or another brand, and the challenge there is for an individual financial advisor, how do you differentiate? Everybody's got a well-known brand in that space if you're looking at a corporate brand. And increasingly, your target audience is increasingly skeptical of those corporate brands based on where we are right now. And so what I like to encourage financial advisors to think about alongside Dennis or any other space is instead of trying to build a generic corporate brand, which takes more money, more time, and, and is a lot harder to do, instead focus on yourself as a community leader, as a mission-driven thought leader. And when I say that, very practically what I mean is look for opportunities to go speak in your community. Look for opportunities to create content. Start an interview series with business owners in town where you're interviewing them about uh, what they've done to be successful, where you're using that as a reason to get in front of them. And so my encouragement there, Mark and, and Joe, is really if you want to stand out as a financial advisor or within your space, whatever that may be, 
instead of trying to build a generic corporate brand, the much quicker, more efficient, more effective way to build an audience is as an individual thought leader because our speed to trust with you as an individual is dramatically quicker than it is with a corporate brand. But what do you say to the, the financial advisor that says, well, all that information is already out there. How do I distinguish myself? Yeah. How, how yeah. I, somebody that somebody will trust over, I mean, the, you know, the, the title of your book, you know, making competition irrelevant. irrelevant. How Love do you that. do that? Yeah. So one of my favorite examples on this is uh, Keller Williams Real Estate. Yeah. So Keller Williams is now the biggest real estate company in the world. Uh, Gary Keller, uh, more than a decade ago, uh, they were chasing down Century 21 and Coldwell Banker. They were way down in terms of, of their brand equity. And the board decided that the way that they were going to go out and differentiate is they were going to write a book. And Gary talks about the whole board turns and looks at him as the guy that's going to write that book. And the first book he put out was called The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which has sold more than a million copies. And Gary talks about walking in the door at Coldwell Banker offices or, or Century 21 offices, and their realtors had his book on yep. their desk mm. reading that. And so if you think about how do you how do you become a successful real estate agent? Sure, Century 21 probably had their model. Coldwell Banker probably had their model. But what Gary did is he went out and he actually built a framework that was his, that, that he owned, that brought – you know, his personality, but also his methodology to the table. And so what I like for, you know, for a lot of people, and certainly a book is an accelerator on this, but if you can advance a specific framework or a specific approach that you personally put out there, and again, instead of saying, hey, look how awesome I am because I have this, instead if you focus it on how somebody else can personalize it or how they can use it, that's how you, that's how you get there. So we're talking a lot about this in these large, you know, influences, but is there a way to apply this to just an individual so that they feel more capable, more more of an authority themselves, not necessarily having to convince anybody else that their brand is worth it, but just knowing that they are capable and confident? Because, you know, that's part of what, what we're trying to do. We're, in, in all the work that I do, in psychiatry, I just try to remind someone of their value because I want them to know they're mm -hmm. valuable. And I use, I don't use the word authority, but I use the word expert. I, I, I tell parents, look, you are the expert in your kid. You know, I'm just a professional, but you're the expert. The most important person is the kid. And that's trying to empower people to trust not just me, but to begin trusting themselves because when they begin to trust themselves, I think they can take more chances, they can be willing to make mistakes because they know they're not going to be judged as less valuable. So is there an application in, in the last couple of minutes of your theory and approach to that? What do you think? No question. Yeah, no question, Joe. And a lot of, a lot of individuals for years have who have ideas that they want to get out. They may not be trying to grow a biz, big business, as you mentioned, or become a speaker, but they've got something to say. Mm -hmm. and, and whether it's sharing a novel or short stories or poetry, um, for years they have had to kind of sit back and hope the local newspaper would print something or the local radio station would put them on the air. And, you know, my encouragement to those people right now would be, 
to to feel empowered to plant their own flag online and and in doing that you know again starting point there for me is to own your name and own search around that but the second piece is to start to put some content out that uh, people are looking for and early on it's going to feel like you're shouting in the woods it's going to feel like you're not getting anywhere Uh, but what i find a lot of times joe is that first piece of reader feedback that first person that calls or, or that sends a note saying wow this this really change things for me or this really made an impact uh it provides so much encouragement and so much drive for people and i just think a lot of people listening probably have never thought they had the power to do that and my encouragement is that they absolutely do and everybody's got a platform to do it now everybody has a platform social media is amazing rusty shelton author of authority marketing how to leverage seven pillars of thought leadership to make competition irrelevant. Forbes book 2018. They can go to your website to get it. They can probably get it on Amazon if you want them to, but it's it's remarkable. Rusty, I am so grateful you're here. You know, we, we close out usually by saying the I am approach. Small changes make big effects, can have big effects, and having you on our show has had a big effect on me. And yeah, I know I'm certainly. And you control no one, you influence everyone, and you get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. And Rusty, I am just so appreciative of the kind of influence that you are on so many people. I think you're empowering people to really go out there and recognize they've got ideas and something to say. Yeah, it's awesome. Thanks so much, Rusty. Thank you, guys. I'm humbled to be on the show. And um, Dr. Shran, big, big fan of yours for many years. Keep up the great work. And Mark, Nice to nice to finally connect with you. Thank Likewise. you for having me. Likewise. Thanks, Rusty. Thanks, Rusty. <laughs> All right, guys. Take okay, care. Bye. So we'll be back next week. Folks, enjoy the great rest of the week. It's going to be a wonderful week. Remember, you control no one. You influence everyone. You choose what kind of influence you want to be. You can remind someone of their value at every moment in time. Every time. Enjoy the oxytocin. Yeah. Thanks, Bye-bye. folks. Then go. Dear Romeo.